Here's a story from The World. I'm Carol Hills. This is The World. In Sudan's capital, Khartoum, today, calls for civil disobedience came blaring from a loudspeaker attached to a mosque. The voice is saying, don't go to work, to punish Sudan's military for betraying the revolution. Yesterday, generals seized power in Sudan. The military has cut most phone and internet service. Protesters have created blockades of burning tires, and soldiers are pursuing them, reportedly going door to door. Dalia Abdelmonim is a Khartoum resident. She says the capital is tense today. All the businesses, shops, offices, the exception of maybe local bodegas, Everything is closed. It's literally a major strike. Anyone who's out on the street is either going to try and get supplies or just trying to get to family or something. But the city is pretty much dead. And that's, I think, the case throughout the whole country. There were reports of protests. In some places, soldiers were on the streets using live ammunition, reportedly have killed at least 10 demonstrators, 140 wounded. Do you think Sudanese will back down in the face of this kind of violence? Absolutely not. If anything, when when we went out in 2018 and we stood up strong against Omar al-Bashir and his army, it proved to us that, you know, nothing scares us. And we've reached a point of no return. We really can't go back and accept this attempted coup by the military. We'll just keep pushing forward. We'll keep protesting. We'll keep going out in numbers. And end of the day, we're 40 million. There's only so many bullets that the army can have. And even if they shoot at us, they can't kill us all. I mean... Honestly, personally, for me, I've just reached that point where I'm like, do it. Nothing's going to stop us. We really are not going to take it lying down, so to speak. You sound defiant. How broad is popular resistance to this coup? Does it extend beyond major cities? I mean, I'm getting videos of protests in Port Sudan. You know, we're getting protests from all other cities in the country. It's not just Khartoum. We've all been burnt by the military in the past. I mean, we have history with the military. and It's not good history. And there's no way we'll allow history to repeat itself, so to speak. So honestly, I don't think anyone will accept this attempted coup. We're going to stand up to it. We'll do whatever we can within our means, within our limited means, to make sure that, you know, what we, the people, want comes to fruition. We want a civilian government. We fought long and hard to have a civilian government. And we're determined to get it. I, I can't fathom. I can't fathom the idea that I can go back to being ruled by the military again. I just can't. Sudan's top general, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, said today, Sudan's prime minister, Abdullah Hamdok, is at my home and he was in good health and would return home when the crisis is over. He didn't use the word under arrest. What do you make of that? Okay, why wasn't he sitting next to him? If he's fine, if he's not under arrest, why not bring him out? Let him speak to the people. Why did you arrest the other ministers? Why are you firing at the protesters? If you're really trying to save and be the savior of the revolution, why cut the internet? Why switch off our phones? This transitional government was a partnership between the military and the civilians. And yet, he's putting all the blame on the civilians. You know, if you are a part of the revolution and you do want to save the revolution, you do not go about by arresting ministers, beating them up, taking them to unknown locations, and then coming up today and saying, oh, yes, the prime minister is with me. Where is he? We want proof. Why isn't the prime minister speaking to us? It's always been a kind of fragile thing, this civilian military government. Were you worried something like this would happen? Always. I mean, all revolutions are messy. You know, you don't slice it and it comes out in perfect shape. There will always be mistakes made. There will always be problems, you know, arising. And we are talking about the destruction of a country for over 30 years. So you're not going to rebuild 
in a day or even a year or two. It's going to take time. But we also have to look at the successes that the government has achieved in that you know, short period of time. We were removed from the terror supporting list. We got the sanctions lifted from Sudan. Our debt was relieved. You know, we're getting loans. We're getting help, financial, economic help and development help. You know, we've been welcomed back into the international arena when for 30 years we were treated as a pariah state. We were taking the, the steps in the right direction. And then for the military to come in and then announce that they've overthrown the government. No, you haven't overthrown the government because we, the people, choose the government that we want to govern us. Then what is behind this power grab? I mean, did military leaders fear prosecution or just a loss of access to lucrative contracts? Maybe, why now? I think it's a number of reasons. I think the whole ICC issue coming up was a problem. They weren't enjoying the power that they used to do before. I think there's also with, there's fractions within the military itself. I mean, I'm not denying it. There were problems between the civilian and the military side, and there are problems in the country that weren't being addressed properly by the government. But at the end of the day, I don't think the military was willing to step aside and let the civilians take control. With the exception of Sadiq al-Mahdi's rule, the military has always been in power, always, ever since we gained independence. So I don't think it was easy for them to be shunted to the side, so to speak. The Biden administration yesterday suspended $700 million in financial aid to Sudan. Does that matter to the coup plotters? I mean, do they have other financial lifelines? Honestly, I don't think it'll make an iota of a difference because I think they have allies with much deeper pockets and they'll be more than happy to foot the bill, so to speak. Can you imagine military and civilian officials in Sudan sharing power again? Can that idea be revived or is it kind of all or nothing at this point? Uh, honestly, that's the best solution that we could have because the military is a strong presence. It is a strong entity. We can't ignore it. Can we do without them? Realpolitik says no. But what we do need is we need two parties who will put the best interests of this country and its people at the forefront. It's not about my political party or your military leanings or my allies and your allies. It's about what's best for this country and its people. And if we can find leaders who are willing to do that, then I think we'd be on the right track. But will we find leaders like that? On paper, yes. But in reality, things always change. Dahlia, do you intend to keep protesting and to continue to fight back? We're all adamant. You know, we've come too far to go back now. I went out not expecting the numbers to be so large last Thursday, and I was shocked at how many people came out. And it just just proved to me that we're all on the same boat. We all want the same thing. doesn't matter what age, gender, race, class, you know, you're from. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're all Sudanese and we want what's best for our country. And that gave me hope that we're more aware. We know what's happening. They can't fool us anymore. And we will protest until the very bitter end if need be. But I honestly believe that just like they reached a compromise in June 30th, 2019, they will reach a compromise again because our numbers are too big to be ignored. Dalia Abdel Monim is an activist in Khartoum, Sudan's capital. I want to thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for having me.